more credit for the economy he inherited. 200,000 dead. I'm not going to answer the question. Why would you answer that because question? Because you should go out and vote. Everybody and welcome to Ogrefina Falls um, build up to the um, US presidential election 2020. Um, I'll just flag it now that we are recording this on the 21st of October, the night before uh, the next uh, US president uh, election uh, debate. So um, knowing how dramatic uh, American politics can be, um, you might just uh, bear with us because the world could be crumbling um, uh, by the time this hits the airs. But um, I'm delighted to be um, uh, joined by Rob Munley, who is um, an American um, politics hack or uh, expert, uh, so we'll uh, define him as. Um, so we're delighted to have Rob with us. Um, and he's, um, I'm delighted that he'll share his knowledge of US and give us an insight of how he sees it playing out and maybe giving us a background of the state of play in America and the politics there. So Rob, uh, thanks very much for joining us tonight. Great to be here. And um, anything for over? Uh, Angela, just to remind older people, look, a lot of you guys are, are still, uh, like myself, only 18 or 19 years old and very young. And uh, just to reassure that U.S. politics isn't normally like this. Like, it's always been at the World Cup of International Politics. But 2016 and 2020, like, things hopefully will calm down by 24 or 28. It's not usually like this. Uh, there is hope. Very good. And actually, that kind of leads into my fourth question is that, I suppose, as you say, many people would have a kind of a general knowledge of American politics, Republican, Democrat, uh, Trump and Biden. But maybe you could give us maybe just kind of how we've got to here and maybe just kind of give an overview of, um, you know, how did Biden become the Democrat uh, nominee and how Trump obviously is running again second time. But um, maybe the other players, the, the vice president's um, uh, nominees and maybe um, maybe the, the primaries and how, how Joe Biden became the Democrat um, sure, nominee. Sure. Um, so just give us an overview and then we'll go into a bit more detail about um, Trump v. Biden then. Sure, sure. So American politics is crazy complicated. Um, so I'll, I'll just give like a very broad overview of how things kind of play out. So um, to choose each candidate for, uh, for presidents, the parties uh, both have primaries that run on for several months across various states. And it's how each party kind of selects over time their nominee for president. Uh, and you'll probably know just from watching the news that they focus on a few small states first, like Iowa, and New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada. You've heard of these. And then after a few months of that, they have what's called Super Tuesday, which is when a load of states vote at once. Um, and if there wasn't already, Super Tuesday tends to provide a very clear front runner. So now the dates of these primaries for both parties is almost always the same. So Republicans will have their New Hampshire primary the same that the Democrats have their New Hampshire primary. That's almost always the case, except for a couple of states. But, uh, there's a difference between the parties. So how each party votes is quite different. The Republican vote in each state, so how Iowa chooses its nominee for Republican uh, candidate, uh, is winner takes all. And that's how Trump in 2016 was able to get the nomination. Like he only won 30 to 40% of the vote in many states, but he got 100% of the delegates. The Democrats do it a bit differently. So they try to assign a delegates to the candidates based on the share of the vote they won. And while it's more democratic, and it is, it means that Republicans tend to have chosen a winner a lot sooner than the Democrats. So they can have kind of a, a head start campaigning in the general election. So in, in the timetable of the elections, Republicans do have a small advantage. Um, now, why is this relevant to 2020, like in the general election? Is that the Democratic primaries of 2020 demonstrate Joe Biden's advantage in this uh, race? Because as Super Tuesday showed, 
older voters know Joe Biden and older voters like Joe Biden, which wasn't necessarily the case with Hillary Clinton. So Bernie had a really good string of wins in the early primaries uh, running in, and a lot of progressives thought that Bernie had huge momentum going into Super Tuesday when I think it's 12 or 13 or 14, it changes every time, but about 12 to 14 states all vote on the same day. And they thought Bernie's momentum going into the money he'd earned would help him there. And then out of the blue, Joe Biden came in and just swept the board with, with people who'd been in the Democratic Party for 20 years, for 30 years, who know Joe Biden, I feel like they have a relationship with him. He's very, very likable. Um, and so Joe Biden just swept the board. And there's a lot of things to indicate that that's what's going to happen in the general election as well. So yeah. particularly in traditionally Democratic states, um, which Trump had won in 2016, that these older Democratic voters were just growing behind Joe Biden again, because I know they like him. So Yeah, and I think, I think we might get into Joe Biden in a second, um, but thanks for giving us the background there. But I think if we know, um, I suppose, in 2016, Donald Trump was well-known, but maybe not politically well-known, um, and now he's running as the president. Um, so mm -hmm. over the last four years, do you think he's uh, gained uh, momentum, or has he lost momentum, or coming into this, how... Um, how is his popularity or, or how strong is he politically coming into this um, yeah. election? Um, the truth is it's about the same. So Trump has not expanded his base at all. But if, if you kind of want to get into American politics and really understand it, like if you want to understand American elections and, and why people vote and what they vote on and why they govern the way they do, um, honestly, it's not something that we understand very well over here. So like if we want to understand the Trump presidency and who's winning and who's losing, and you're probably curious why almost half the country still intends to vote for this guy. Uh, you really have to look at what kind of news you're consuming. So if you look at how the US media is structured, um, you have your national news and then you have your local news. Now, like everyone gets glimpses of the national news. You've got CNN, you've got Fox News, you've got MSNBC, PBS, ABC. Um, and like the national news for the last four years have been exhausting because Trump is exhausting. But then also, just like in Ireland, they have local news. Like we have the Kerry's Eye and Kerry here in Things, we have the Northside People. Uh, you've got WLW or FM in Waterford. And local news is read cover to cover. Now, in the States, news is, is, a, is a commercial enterprise. So it's highly partisan. So Republican uh, news outlets sell to Republicans and CNN and MSNBC sell to Democrats. That's just the way it is. Um, now, in America, the national media is overwhelmingly Democratic. But the local media, the local press, is owned by many Republican companies. And the local news uh, heavily favors Republicans. And that's a blind spot for a lot of us here in Ireland. So... So here's an example, right? In, in January 2019, uh, when Trump announced that his great border wall with Mexico, that this giant testament to mankind's folly, uh, he, was, he announced that it would be made of steel. And so everyone in the national news kind of ridiculed this. But if you took the time to read the local papers in the Rust Belt states where steel is made, um, which are swing states in this election, they all talked about how Trump was putting in a three, four billion dollar order for steel from their towns, from their factories, and how many jobs would create, how long the project would last, et cetera, et cetera. And this was covered in like the, the Detroit Free Press, the Flint Journal, uh, the Grand Rapids Press, the Oakland Press. You know, local news is read cover to cover. And because we and the rest of the world get our news, uh, news about the US from the national press, we often wonder how anyone out there is voting for this guy, this, this, this lunatic who gets on stage and says mean and exhausting things. So if you really want to understand US politics, you have to take the time to read what his voters are reading. And outside the big cities, that is the local press. So um, it's something Western countries just don't do. So like, if you even look at Ireland, when we want to understand US politics, we send a journalist to Washington, right? Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. is 90% democratic, uh, has no concern for local news. So and we're all, and when someone like Trump wins, we're all left standing around saying, like, you know, how did this happen? The answer is, the answer is in almost every local newspaper. So 
Uh, how is the Trump administration actually doing? Like, how is he performing with the electorate? Um, you have to understand sort of how the Trump administration actually works. So if you imagine two airplanes in the sky flying totally in parallel, on one plane, Trump gets up on stage and makes a bunch of jokes that his base love, but the rest of the country thinks is, is mean and kind of exhausting. On a completely separate plane, policy is formed and implemented and never show the two meet. Uh, now, broadly speaking, if you go policy by policy, uh, people in the States like Trump's policies, but they intensely dislike the man himself. So a lot of people are kind of caught in the middle here. And that's why you still have someone decide it's left this late in the game. Um, Trump's biggest opponent is himself. Like most of the opposition research into Trump is coming from inside the president's mouth. Right? So like most non-partisan outlets will agree that in terms of policy, much has actually gone well for the president, uh, particularly in keeping the promises to his base. But his problem is that his base is exactly the same size as it was in 2016, which was a very low turnout election. Like back in 2012, Mitt Romney, the Republican, lost to Barack Obama, the Democrat. In 2016, Trump got fewer votes overall than Mitt Romney, but still won. That's how low turnout an election was. He has not grown in his base a bit, and he's brought a few new people into the fold, but it's negligible. So, because, you know, that's what happens when you go on Twitter and call people scumbags and retweet conspiracy theories. Like, you know, who, who's telling him that this stuff is working? Like, it's just, he's the worst candidate I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, a good example of this is, you know, no, no, you can follow it, but I would just maybe moving into the, the next kind of question is what we see in Ireland here is, and fair enough, we have traditionally two large parties from the Gaelic in the fall, but um, the, the spectrum of voters is quite large. And now we've definitely seen it with more and more parties getting more and more support. Um, but in America, and it, 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 maybe it's because I only get the national news from America, so I don't get mm -hmm. the local news. But for me, I would be screaming, and I, I've talked to a number of Americans that came over for college and stuff like that, and I'd be screaming for someone on the middle ground because, um, you know, you have, no, I, I, I would see myself as a centrist here, but I would imagine in America I'd be seen as probably a leftist um, yeah. because, because yeah. the extremes are so massive. Like, rather than right-wing in Ireland probably isn't as right-wing as America, you know, way off it. So, like, the, the polarization is absolutely massive there. And I'm just wondering, is there, is it a flaw in their American political system or, or how is it that there's surely... Republicans that are, you know, moderates, and certainly we might talk about that later. But Hillary didn't get the the backing of some of the more left-leaning Democrats. Maybe Biden might get that this time. But I was wondering, like, is there um, Republicans and Democrats kind of screaming for, you know, someone that would unite? And I suppose that we'll get into later as well. Is that it, it's so polarized at the moment? Is there uh, a candidate down sure. the future, or, or sure. how do how is the political system so polarized in America at the moment? Well, the, the truth is, in terms of policy, the parties aren't a thousand miles apart, except on maybe a couple of issues, and both parties have hardliners. Um, the truth is, it's that in the battle to win seats and win power, the rhetoric has really escalated. Um, there's not a million miles between, like, most Republicans who didn't vote for Trump because they didn't like him because, you know, it's Trump, um, they were really worried he was just going to govern like a centrist Democrat. And it, like, in many ways, he has. I mean, Trump had a criminal reform bill. He made some real moves on immigration that were actually to the left. Um, things like that, but it's it's all showbiz over there. Like especially at the national level, like people have already made up their minds in America who they're going to vote for. It's now just a question of turning up your vote. So it's no longer a persuasion game. It's just a turnout game. And the easiest way, if not the most honest way, to turn out your base is to uh, make a devil out of your opponent. So that's why you have like you Democrats saying like Trump is white supremacist, and then you in 2016 you would. Trump, people at a Trump rally trying to lock her up. Let's, let's put the Democratic uh, challenger in prison. 
Um, like neither of these things are healthy. Neither of the things are good for the democracy. But when you've run out of persuadable voters in the middle, it's the only tactic kind of left to either side to do. So now most people on both sides are pretty moderate, to be honest. But as is the case when you're vying for airtime in the media, because you want to get noticed because you want some votes, uh, edge cases win. So normal, boring, moderate Democrat doesn't make any headlines. It just doesn't. Nobody cares. There's a thousand of you. But Bernie Sanders gets headlines because he's out there on the periphery, at least from an American perspective. I mean, over here, he would just be you know, the Labour Party or something. Um, so, yeah. But that, that's, that's really why. Yeah. And I suppose, just you mentioned it there about the, 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 the pantomime of American politics. And I suppose no more um, pantomime is the debates, which there's one tomorrow night. But I suppose... And we've had two so far. We've won against um, the two presidential candidates and then one against uh, the two vice president um, nominees. And I'm just wondering, uh, how would you um, analyze those two debates and, and what can we expect coming sure. tomorrow? So if, if, if you're new to American politics, what I'm going to do is I can talk a bit about the first debate and then I can talk about how um, presidential nominees kind of approach debates and how like, maybe the first debate is different to the second to the third. So the first debate was a dumpster fire, right? There was no question about this. I have never seen a presidential candidate inflict more damage on themselves than I did uh, when I saw Trump do that to himself in that debate. Like, I have heard people comparing it to Chewbacca screaming at Han Solo, just like screaming noise. Um, now, in these debates with Trump and Biden, both candidates are actually kind of the opposite. So Trump tends to go into a debate full of energy, like, you know, ready to rock, like Rocky, let's go. And I start beating up the other guy. Um, but he gets tired very quickly because being an exhausting person, like he exhausts himself. And so he just can't stop going. And then he gets tired, he gets cranky, he gets incredibly hostile, as you saw in the first debate. Like that was, I've never seen anything like that first debate. Uh, Biden is kind of the opposite. Joe Biden takes like half an hour to kind of get going. Um, so his challenger tends to win the first 20 to 30 minutes against him, which isn't good because a lot of people actually turn off debates after the first 20 minutes. Like people say, oh, you know, I suppose I should watch the political debate, being a good citizen, and then they get bored. They tend not to get bored when trouble's involved because it's, you know, it's madness. Um, but yeah, so Biden tends to win the second half of the debate. So that's, that's kind of what you're looking for. Like, if, will Biden start strong? Will Trump start weak? Will Trump go way too heavy on Biden? Will Biden get a word in? Um, so also, in the first debate, the challenger usually wins. So people are used to seeing the president for four years, and then a new fresh face kind of comes along. Also, the challenger doesn't have to do the day-to-day -day job of being president, so they have more time to prepare. Um, and it's the first time in years because American media, like Trump will only talk to Fox News. Obama would almost never talk to Fox News. So you're only ever going to get like a friendly interview with president in such a polarized uh, media landscape. So it's the first time they actually see the president's feet held to the fire uh, is from the challenger from the other party. So, and also usually the incumbent president does no preparation because they're like, you know, what? I'm already president. Like, you know, what work do I need to? I already know everything. And they always end up getting their ass kicked. Uh, like a look at 2012, Obama was way ahead of the polls for most of the election. And then Mitt Romney um, beat him up badly in the first debate. And for the first time, the polls were tied. Um, John McCain did very well against Obama in 2008. And that was the first time the, and the only time the polls were ever even between Obama and McCain back in 2008. So, so it's usually advantage to the challenger in the first debate. Now, a lot of people are saying, I personally think they're applying too much strategy to Trump when they say this, but that Trump knows that the first debate tends to go well for the challenger. So Trump's strategy was, just don't let Joe speak. Just talk the entire time, and you'll inflict some damage to yourself, but Joe Biden will never land a punch. He'll never land uh, a line. And the polls after the debate kind of reflect this. Like, uh, I think CNN had a poll that said 48% said Joe Biden won, and 41% said Trump won, which was an exact reflection of the national polls at the time. So the first debate, 
was a wash. It didn't appear to change anyone's mind. Um, so, and then, and then for the, hmm? look, sorry, looking at the the second uh, debate between the vice president nominees, um, how do you characterize those? Because both of them, I suppose, no one can be as as flamboyant as Trump is, but I suppose um, does I suppose you at the moment you're saying that people have made up their choice of who they're voting for, and now it's about getting the base out. Could you say was was Joe Biden's um, uh, choice of Harris a, a way of getting a bigger base for him to come out, or was that a good choice in your opinion, or or how do you think yes. that would play out? Um, and then yes. as well, hints. I suppose he's been there for four years now as well. Is he a strength or is he a weakness to Trump? Um, or how how do you think they will influence the overall outcome of the? Sure. So there's two candidates. One is Pence, and one is Harris. If you look at Mike Pence, he's advantage to Trump because. The progressives don't like him, but they don't dislike him enough to kind of do anything about it. He just is who he is, and he's, he's quiet. Like, he doesn't go out in public much and, and say um, very socially conservative things. And he helps Trump with the base. But the, the evangelical base doesn't like Trump personally. They have a lot of issues with his character, but Trump delivers for them on policy. So they put, it's purely transactional. Like, he barely pretends to be religious. He was asked in 2016 uh, from some religious interviewer, um, what's your favorite? He said, what's your favorite book? And Trump said, the Bible. And not realizing that the Bible is actually a compendium of much smaller books. The guy said, which book in the Bible? And Trump was like, ah, you're not catching me. The Bible. You know, like, he didn't even know. Um, but they don't mind because they deliver conservative judges. They deliver um, some conservative movements on things like abortion funding. They keep it down at the state level rather than pay for it out of the federal budget, which has been kind of a deal between the two sides for a long time. Uh, as for Kamala Harris, it was a risky move, I think, by Joe, because she could alienate a lot of progressives. A lot of progressives, like the Bernie Bros, don't like Kamala because of her... Um, heavy-duty policing, but if you have a lot of, at the same time, you have a lot of independent voters who really want to vote for Joe Biden, but they worry that he's old and he'll be pushed around by the more progressive or extreme uh, elements of his party, and they see Kamala as a good safeguard to that because she's big on policing and stuff, you know, like she's not going to defund the police. And I think Going back to um, Hillary um, and how she didn't get, well, presumably she didn't get the support because the turnout was so low of um, Democrats that would be slightly more left-leaning. Yeah. Do you think now that the Democrats have truly become, came behind Biden because they yes. found a, a common foe in Trump? Yes. Um, so he will get that support, you reckon? Um, uh, and by the way, the polls show this. So if you look at the polls in 20, okay, slight rant about the polls. The great big myth of 2016 is that the polls were wrong. The polls were not wrong in 2016. So like, and people are cautious of the polls this time. They see Joe Biden leading and they're like, ah, but 2016, the polls were wrong. Like, you know, Trump could catch up. The polls were not wrong in 2016. Um, first of all, Hillary was supposed to win by 2.8% nationally. She won by 2.1%. But the race for presidency, like it's not a national election, it's 50 local elections. Um, Trump was within the margin of error of every swing state that he won. And he won within the margin of error. Uh, but also the final polls couldn't take into account the effect of the Comey letter from uh, the FBI by Hillary Clinton because it was so late in the game. So the final polls couldn't account for that. So had there been more time, we probably would have seen reflected in the polls. But even the very final national polls had Trump ahead nationally. People don't know this. Trump was at 48% to Hillary's 47% in the final national polls, post-Comey. Um, but there was 5 to 6% there for independent voters. So like radical Democrats for independents, like even McMullen, like uh, true Republicans, and then for Jill Stein as well. So it's about 5 to 6%. And that definitely cost Hillary votes in some of these swing states. But this time, those third-party votes have all swung in behind Biden. And that's why Biden's not at 48, or he's not at like 49 to Trump's 45. Biden's at 53, 54. 
And in terms of polling, that's a really good number for Biden. Hillary never really crossed 50%. And that's a really important watershed. Biden has consistently been above 50%, as high as 55, 56% in some of these swing states. That's a really positive uh, sign for Joe Biden. And, and then going back to, like, on, like, I suppose we've touched on earlier, but how engaged are the general public um, in, in politics? I know that you said there's local news and then there's national news and stuff. But I, was, I was just wondering, like, the polls, um, it, a lot of national media probably do polls and stuff like that. And I was just wondering, sometimes you see at, at rallies and at um, events, they're not the, the most engaged people. They, they, they've chosen their candidates. They're engaged politically. They'll turn out, but they, they couldn't tell you why they back that one candidate. Um, and I'm just wondering um, how, how will, maybe there are swing voters, maybe people um, that don't um, engage totally with politics, but will vote. How do the Democrats or the Republicans get them now into engage with them and their candidates in the closing days? Or is it possible? Are they just... Um, sure. So a lot of this comes down to identity politics and a lot of it comes down to single issue voting. So for example, religious groups would be staunchly anti-abortion. And they will get their vote out on the day for Trump. And that's all they care about. So you put a microphone in their face and ask them about education, healthcare, anything else, that's how they vote. And it's the same on the other side. There's a huge sort of pro-choice, uh, pro-planned heritage uh, movement in the United States. And that is, for young women especially, a huge issue. And that's all they listen to. So are you going, are you going to defund planned parenthood? Yes, you're not getting my vote. And it's as simple as that. So, and then if you go to the Rust, and it, it depends where you live, right? It's a massive country. So if you go to the Rust Belt states, flack, uh, fracking is a huge thing because a lot of people are employed in fracking. So now you have the Democratic candidate going around promising not to stop fracking, which is something you wouldn't normally see because they need to win back those Rust Belt states to govern it all. So, and then Trump, of course, is rolling videos of Joe Biden promising to get rid of fracking and all this. And so um, a lot of the time it's single issue stuff. A lot of the time it's just cultural. It's just cultural. Uh, people have, like, if you go to the South, there's a lot of Republican traditional families who will always back so-and-so. A lot of those guys are moderates. Um, at rallies, yeah, it, it can be disheartening to see some of the most politically active people in the country know almost nothing about their candidate. And the guy I have friends here in Ireland, some of whom are crazy pro-Trump, some of whom are crazy pro-Biden, and they'll get visibly angry if you suggest their candidate is not some kind of demigod. But if you ask them two questions about their candidate, they can't answer them. But they know they're angry, and they know they feel very strongly about it. So, I don't know. I don't think it's healthy myself, the way how ginned up people get. I don't think it's good for democracy. Yeah. And I, I suppose, um, um, just another question on, on kind of identity and stuff. There are Republicans, um, members, um, what they call themselves, you know, card-holding members, and they're, they're, um, they're you know, Republicans till they die. But this time, um, you know, if they're, you know, fair they're, they're, there's a give and take with Trump that once policy he delivers on that, they'll vote for him. But is there... I suppose, a moderate Republicans, is there a fear for Trump, I suppose, that he might lose some of those to Biden, who would be kind of seen as a, a centralist Demo uh, Democrat, not a, a, a left as Bernie, so that they're not that afraid of uh, Biden? So that was definitely the case in 2016, because Trump came out of nowhere. And you've all these people who've been Republicans for, imagine Fianna Fáil, someone came out of nowhere and ran for the leadership of Fianna Fáil, and half the party just hated the guy and turned up. And he brought all these non-Fianna Fáil members in and overthrew them. You'd be pretty angry. And that's what Republicans felt in 2016. And the Democrats just did a better job of keeping Bernie out because Bernie came out of nowhere as well and brought in like hundreds of thousands of new voters who weren't really Democrats, you know, uh, yet. They just joined yesterday. And people who've been there 20, 30 years were, you know, took umbrage with this. Um, it was the case in 2016 that moderate Republicans were anti-Trump. A lot of them voted against Trump. That is not the case in 2020. That's because Trump has governed broadly uh, like a Republican. 
So it, if you look at the case, there's been massive cuts to regulation. He has prevented, uh, some Republicans care about, he's prevented abortion funding at a federal level while keeping it at the local level because you can't tell states what to spend on locally. Uh, he's appointed, I think it's over 200 federal judges and there's a strong conservative streak to them all. He's on his third Supreme Court justice, which is insane. Like, that has to be some kind of precedent, you know. And it's Amy Comey Barrett, who I think he was hoping would give him a few good news days and also bring in Catholics, which isn't working, by the way. Catholics are breaking for Biden, which is really bad news for Trump. So, um, yeah, so in 2016, moderate Republicans wouldn't vote for him. But Trump has fought for them. He's, he's gone up on stage and he's kind of taken the slings and arrows from the likes of Trevor Noah, the likes of Stephen Colbert every night. And he kind of just dusts them off. I mean, he's a madman. He doesn't care. And so they kind of like him for that. And also he governs like a Republican. So, And I suppose just on Trump there, as you say, is like in your, I know maybe not in living history, but in your experience of uh, uh, American politics, has there been a president that has been so divisive maybe? Sure. Um, um, or, I'm yeah. Um, Bill Clinton was pretty divisive. Yeah. Pretty divisive. Republicans hated Bill Clinton. Um, and George Bush won support basically on the back of being the most anti-Bill Clinton candidate. Then like you go back, you had FDR was really divisive. I mean, you had, you had, you had his new deal, but he was also you know, a bit of an authoritarian. Like, FDR tried to pack the Supreme Court back then, long before Joe Biden was talking about it, where he didn't like the results he was getting from the independent judiciary. So he tried to stack the court by adding four or five new justices, like handpicked on there. Um, he, he went to go for it. He had, a, he had a third term, and he was president for so long, the nation had to self-impose term limits. And he was a pretty divisive guy. Like, it was a huge um, change in the power of the federal government at the time. A lot of people weren't, weren't for it. And if you watch movies from the late 40s, the early 50s, there's one in particular called Judgment in Nuremberg about the trial of the Nazis uh, at the end of World War II. Really good movie. Very, very good. Judgment at Nuremberg. Uh, it's like four hours long because it's an old movie. Um, but even then, there's guys, like Americans, who are drinking in a bar in Germany, these two judges, and they're arguing about FDR. One guy's, well, I'm a Republican and I love him. So, well, I'm a Democrat and I hate him. Um, so he's pretty divisive. And then like, Abraham Lincoln had a civil war. And then you have people like Andrew Jackson, who you know are just terrible people. So... Calvin Coolidge as well, uh, by all accounts, a bit mad. He was present there at the, the, the turn of the, um, the Great Depression. He, he, uh, most presidents have a gym. I think after you were at a swimming pool, Calvin Coolidge used to juggle. He would take an hour or two a day just to juggle. And he had to stop everything, like, you know, like yeah. put down the red telephone, like, lock up the situation room, I'm juggling for two hours. Like, you no, know, so. But there's been madder presidents from Trump, that's for sure. Yeah. And and I, look, I, if, you think, if you think it was always civilized, you can go back and read the debates between Lincoln and Dublin, which are kind of very highly regarded in terms of sort of rhetorical output. But uh, no, they're calling each other all kinds of words that you could not say in an under-18s movie these days. Yeah, and, and I suppose it's, it's just because of Twitter and Facebook and social media that Trump is so out there on. If, if the president back in the day said something ludicrous, it would have taken months to actually print around the, the, the world or things. <laughs> so I suppose now it's so um, uh, uh, straight in your face. But uh, the other thing, maybe Trump has roared back on it a small bit in the last while, but the threat of... Uh, if Biden does win, um, the threat of a, a, a non-peaceful handover of power, how he kind of rolled back and said that there'll be a lawsuit, but initially he kind of did say there could be skirmishes. And I'm just wondering how yeah. big of a threat is that? Because the country is so divisive and polarized at the moment, no matter the result, there could be um, a conflict or how, how real a threat is that? Um, um, so I was talking to someone in Georgia a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he's a county manager out there. And he was saying it's so divided now that at the very local elections out there, and Americans do things similar, but also very differently to us. In the local elections out there, uh, like because they vote for judges, they vote for sheriffs, they vote for the dog catcher, um, there are no Democrats running in this county. 
and there are almost no Republicans running in the county over. So now the way they do it is a bit different. So like when we elect people to the council, like we vote for a guy and or a woman, and we say, you join this board of councillors basically that runs the local council. In America, no, it's more like a student union election. You vote for people for a specific job. So you ever know you see on TV these queues going around the block for voting? Yeah, it's because of like 30 people to vote for for different jobs and, and all these local ordinances. So you go and you say, I'm going to vote for this person to run the water, this person to run the graveyards, this person to run the trimming the hedges outside in, in public spaces. And they're all different ballot papers. Like it's, it's a very democratic society. Voting takes a really long time. So, um, And I suppose the, the next question I have for you, and I, before I ask you the, the real tough question of calling the election, but um, could you... In four years' time, come two weeks' time, there's going to be someone elected. Um, in four years' time, be it Trump or Biden, what kind of uh, America or world are we looking at? Like, how, if Biden gets elected in four years' time, uh, what kind of, how will, do you reckon Biden will impact? Will he make much changes? Will he not? And if Trump is elected okay. and can't run again, will, you know, what kind of a world will he uh, try to implement for his legacy or his, you know, yeah, um, no, the truth is, like, who knows? I mean, first of all, the president doesn't really have that much power. Like, when the founders outlined the powers in the Constitution, they deliberately gave the president, because they were very anti-king, uh, gave the president almost no power. So, um, what kind of world? Look, there's a picture from February of Joe Biden kneeling down in a, in a mosque, I think it is, with a Black Lives Matter sash and wearing a face mask. You try explaining that photo to someone 12 months previously. Like, there's no guessing what the next 12 months holds, let alone four years. On the fallout from the election, um, a lot of this comes down to mail-in voting. So there's three kinds of voting. There's, you turn up in person, just like Ireland, your name is there, you vote, they strike you off the list, you can't vote twice. Then you've got what they call absentee ballots, uh, which is very popular in some states. And some states, I think like Oregon, only do absentee ballots, like everyone votes by the post. But the difference is, if you request an absentee ballot, they post it out to you, but when you go to vote in person, your name is taken off the list. Like, you can't vote in person as well. Mail-in balloting is potentially uh, massively chaotic because they post you at a ballot. But on the day, if you go to the polling station as well, your name is also there. So it's entirely possible to vote twice. And they won't know. So there's a potential here for it to just be an absolute mess. And then in some of the swing states, it's, it's not going very well. So... Look, take, take New Jersey's not a swing state. Go back to New Jersey in the summer. They had a local election there. Like, not many people voted. But 20% of the votes in that very small local election were found to be fraudulent. Like, that's, that's a lot. Um, if you look at Ohio, and look, I'm not saying that there's fraud going on necessarily. Like, I don't, it's very, very difficult to do. And honestly, in most cases, the system works. The system does prevent fraud. So I don't like when Trump gets up and says, talk about election fraud. I think that's really, really dangerous and really, really bad. Um, other Democrats do it too. But... Ohio sent out 50,000 mail-in ballots by accident to people who never asked for them just a few weeks ago. In Pennsylvania, um, just like us, we're running on the program for government. When you send back your mail-in ballot, you have to put it in a special anonymous envelope, right? If you don't post it back in that special envelope, you just latch it in the post, uh, it'll be disqualified. And the, the, the local court has ruled on this, that like we were ruling on things in advance, basically. We're setting down the rules that if you do this, it'll be disqualified. Over 100,000 people in Pennsylvania are doing mail-in ballots, and the majority of them are Democrats, and people are not smart, like, as a general cohort of, of the human race. So it's entirely possible a lot of Democrats screw up the ballots, and if it's a very close election, and there's a lot to suggest that it will be, these small uh, technical differences with the mail-in ballots could be a difference. Uh, and also, it creates a big space for bad actors. So if you do think Iran is messing with the election or Russia is messing with the election, 
All they have to do is print off 20,000 fake mail-in ballots and post them around the country and just cause chaos. Uh, but one thing's for sure, we probably won't know on election night who's winning. It could be a couple of weeks. Yeah, and, I, and you mentioned there a minute ago a few swing states and a few kind of um, how there, some of them aren't, you know, there's ebbing and flowing of them. I'm just wondering what on, on election night, what states would you say look out for that, you know, could go either way or... Um, well, the real is because Trump is, despite being an incumbent, he's still the challenger. Like, it's Biden's to lose. Trump had, what Trump did in 2016 was he won an inside straight. Like, he got lucky. He basically won the lotto. Like, he guessed every state correctly, just about. Um, for him to accomplish that again, the odds of it happening are just exponential. So, Trump has to win Florida and win Ohio, and he has to win Iowa, and he has to win uh, North Carolina. These are states he should win anyway. You know, in the normal course of events, he would absolutely win these states, but coronavirus has thrown everything up in the air. Then he has to win one of the Rust Belt states. And the Rust Belt states are, for people who don't know, they're these old industrial states that used to make a lot of steel. Everyone worked with their hands. There's no Harvard, there's no Yale. Uh, and most of the young people just left for New York or California for a better life. And they've been in decline um, since the 90s. And they've been promised, so oh, education and new industry, it's never really materialized. And so they voted for Trump. Partly it's a two fingers to the establishment. Uh, and also Trump actually talked to them and said, I'll give you what you want. And by the way, to a degree he has. He hasn't been totally successful. A lot of stuff has fallen through. Uh, but he has done his best to deliver to his base of Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. He needs one of those three to win. Uh, if, you, if you go to 272win.com, you can have a, you can play around with an interactive map there. It's a lot of fun. So yes, one of those. But Biden is beating him in Arizona. And that's very, very bad news for Trump because Trump's path to 270 presumed an Arizona win, the same way a Democratic path would presume a California win. It's been a red state very, very often, like nine out of 10 times, whatever the last number of years. So, so it's difficult for Trump to get there. It's very, very difficult. Um, what states to watch? You want to take a pen and write them down? Florida, Ohio, uh, Iowa, North Carolina, South Carolina, surprisingly, but Trump should take it. And then that's Trump's base. He has to win those. If he, win, if he loses any of those, he's toast. Above that, you've got uh, Michigan, it's probably the next easiest one, and Arizona. And here's the fun part. If Trump wins the states he's expected to win, which he still loses, but wins Nevada, it's a tie. It's 269 to 269. And that's, if that happens, you'll find me up on the roof of my garage, stockpiling canned goods and firing a shotgun into the air. Uh, please stay behind the burning barrels. Because no one knows what, to, okay, there's rules around what happens if it's a tie. But nobody knows, right? Because the only time anyone ever talks about what we do when it's a tie is like in August when there's no news. So the news stations will go, what happens in the event of a tie? Here's our expert, John Smith on whatever. Um, so there's rules around this, right? But there's no rules around some stuff. So say it's 269 to 269, that is the tie. Electors, they have to go to Washington in person and cast their electoral ballots. And then if it's a tie, uh, the House of Representatives votes on president and the Senate votes on vice president. But what if, one of the people voting says, I'm not voting for Trump, I'm voting for Biden. And Biden wins 272-268. Like, that's just chaos. Um, so we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. If you're, you want to know what happens in terms of the outcome of this election, one of two things will happen. One is it is a Joe Biden landslide. And I mean an absolute landslide. The other is a very narrow win for Trump. And I mean a hair of a win. But Trump has to do a lot of things right. And he has never shown his ability to do that. And I have absolutely no confidence he will start yeah. But look, I mean, no, go on, you can. if you want to get real geeky about it, you, you want to predict who's going to win this election. Okay. The polls were not wrong in 2016, as I've said. 
there was nothing to suggest that the polls would be wrong in 2020, and Joe Biden has a significant lead in them all. So that's really good news if you're a Joe Biden fan. If you're a Trump fan and you're kind of looking for, for ways for him to win, um, there's a lot of what we call non-polling indicators. So these are things that uh, are traditionally good indicators of how a state is going to swing on the day, but they're not actually polls, right? So even though Biden's doing well in the polls, many of the non-poll indicators are kind of breaking for Trump, which is where some of the confusion is and why a lot of pollsters are cautious about calling this, right? But Trump has a one in six chance of winning, right? That's the same as a game of Russian roulette and not a totally bad analogy. So the first non-polling indicator is voter registration, right? Part of how the Democratic Party works, how it gets votes, is it registers all its voters as Democrats. So if you vote for Democrat, the party seeks you out, you're a member of the Democratic Party, you're registered as a Democrat, right? And they've been in this for years, so they have a huge lead of registered voters in each state. Well, since 2017, 2018, uh, and especially in the last few months, Republican voter registration, which they never traditionally did, has surged. And, and new Republican voters over the summer are registering in the hundreds of thousands. Now, Democrats always lead in these numbers, but in Florida, uh, the gap between registered voters, uh, re yeah, registered Republicans and registered Democrats, it has never been this close. Um, and how many registered voters you add in an election period is a pretty good sign of momentum. In fact, I actually have numbers. Right, so in Florida, since March, um, Republicans have added 200,000 and Democrats have added 100,000. Since June uh, in Pennsylvania, Democrats have added 60,000, but Republicans have added 135,000. In North Carolina, Democrats have added 40, um, Republicans have added 83. Except for Arizona, Democrats being there, Trump needs to win it, so it's gone. But there's other indicators too. Like if Trump wins Pennsylvania, he wins the presidency. It is, unless something weird happens, it's pretty much that simple. But he's probably not going to, so he's looking at other places. Now, the first half of 2020, don't forget, was, talk, uh, was dominated by police reform. So, and some, some of the more extreme Democrats were saying defund the police. Pennsylvania is, a, apart from the big cities, is a very rural and kind of rough state. Over 100,000 new gun owners have been registered in Pennsylvania this year. 100,000. In a state, Trump only won by a few thousand. And gun owners almost always vote Republican. So the question is, how are these 100,000 new gun owners uh, going to vote? So that's another indicator that doesn't really match up with the polls. So we have no idea. And look, and then you've got voter intensity. Like in 2016, Hillary was leading. But one of the best polls, Investor Business Daily, they asked an important question, a metric that was overlooked by everyone else. It said, how strongly are you going to vote for your candidate? And Hillary voters were, there were more Hillary voters, but they all said, yeah, you know, after work, if I've got time, not too tired, I'll give her a vote. And Trump guys were like, you know, I booked a week off work. I, I am in a tent outside the polling station. I've got a gun. Like, I am voting, you know. And so Trump had a huge intensity differential in 2016. That is, a lot of that has eroded um, because Democrats lost. They weren't expecting to in 2020. So Trump is leading an intensity by about 10%. So 76% of Trump voters are like, you know, I am voting for this guy. But so are 66% of Biden voters. So there's a gap. And the question is, will that in voter intensity be enough um, for Trump to actually do it? So Very good. I, I think we could, we could talk for another couple of hours, but I think we, we better uh, call, call, it, call it time on it. But I suppose the way 2020 has gone, I think uh, I'll be putting a tenner on a, a draw and getting my uh, gun and canned <laughs> foods and uh, locking myself in the house. Um, but um, thanks very much, Rob. Uh, very informative, mm -hmm. and um, I'm sure will really ignite uh, Oprah's interest in the debate uh, or the election over in the US. As well, no. it should. Yeah, exactly. Um, very good. Um, I'll just say thanks for everyone for watching, and thanks again to Rob. And uh, stay safe, and uh, we'll see you all again soon. Thank you. No Thank you, George. Bye.